The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Three men with identities forged in the white-hot fires of the 90s comic book boom. Now ready to re-examine the era where heroes became extreme and what magazine gave rise to a market of speculation. If you've got the guts, prepare to enter the world of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. Greetings, geeks, and welcome to episode 34 of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, the podcast where we re-examine the 90s comic book boom through the pages of Wizard Magazine. If my co-hosts would read Prime, I'd pay him a dime. I'm Adam. You can be sure that I'd rather eat my own shoe than read a single issue of any Ultraverse comic. I'm Michael. And still wishing Model by Day had won our poll for the May episode of 90s Super Cinema, I'm Steven. And I do, and you all let me down. (laughs) I'm kind of bummed about that, too. (laughs) One of these days we'll get to it. We may just give it to you anyway, so you guys can experience the pleasures of Model by Day. Sorry, fam, Kajansen. Did you know she was in it? Would you have voted for it? Be careful what you wish for. (laughs) You just might get it. Before we get started here, I know you're all wondering if Wizard provides an update on their office video game tournaments. And yes... Yes, they do. But do you really want to know? Then get over here! Now, if you'll recall, Wizard had a contest a few issues back giving away a Mortal Kombat arcade cabinet, and in preparation for a new contest, they were giving away a Mortal Kombat 2 cabinet, and the staff decided that they would test it out. So here are the results. They said, uh, while play, uh, testing the game to make sure it'll be in perfect shape for the lucky fan who wins it, a Mortal Kombat 2 tournament was held by the hardworking Wizard staff. So who was the top combatant? With a K. Though an impressive display was made by Pat Baraka McCallum, Doug, Johnny Cage, Goldstein, Matt, Liu Kang, Milliken, and Steve Raiden Blackwell, the heavyweight belt went to entertainment retailing editor and wizard editorial assistant Rob Liu Kang Samsel. Can you say fatality? Honorable mention goes to Garib Sheamus, who entered but got his butt waxed pretty hard. Sorry, uh, boss. What a terrible term, butt waxed. <laughs> who has ever heard of this? Yes. No one. Now, one funny thing I'll mention real quick is that a former wizard staffer, Steve Blackwell, told us on Twitter that the winner of the contest actually just lived down the street from the wizard offices so it was a very easy delivery process for them (laughs) okay now also just warning you all Rob Liefeld is served up on a silver platter for complete mockery in this issue and we're not backing away from it we know last episode we invited him on the show try to make nice but this stuff is too good to pass up so sorry Liefeld fans just you know take a drink every time we roast him to help take the edge off. You can send your angry letters to wizardscomicspod at gmail.com. He's never coming on this podcast. He'll never come on. <laughs> also, for the record, you invited him. We did not. Yes. <laughs> it was not unanimous. <laughs> not unanimous. <laughs> but speaking of comics-related correspondence, guys, it's time for... Willie Lumpkin's Mailbag. So Jim McLaughlin starts off the Magic Words column by giving tips to readers who want their letters published. Uh, The most PG-13 advice is as follows. Thoughtful letters are great. Emotional letters are bad. If you think Punch Man sucks sour frog ass, don't just send in a letter saying Punch Man sucks sour frog ass. I hope Emil Muzz, creator of Punch Man, gets hit by a speeding beer truck. A lot of ass and butt waxing going on here. (laughs) 
lot. So they, they go on to say, that's visceral, yeah, but it just doesn't sing. Let your brain write the letter, not your heart. Tell us what makes Punch Man so lousy. Same goes for gushing praise. Tell us why Pummel Man is the greatest thing since sliced bread, not just that it is. Okay, it's fair advice, I would say, if you want to get your letter published. <laughs> Did you guys ever write a letter to Wizard? I did no. not. No, I never had a question. I, I guess find that, that hard burning. to believe, Adam. I find that very hard to believe. They gave me everything I needed. It was all there for me. Every issue. What What was left? Nothing. So controversial indie comics creator Hartie Fisher, who was recently on the Sally Jesse Raphael talk show, defending his adult theme comics work about serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer. By the way, if you if you were not born like before 1990, you have no idea what any of those words mean. Fisher writes in to complain about Capital City Distributors, new penalty of five. $500 to all publishers who cancel a book and 750 to resolicit the comics when they are ready to sell. Fisher claims this is a way to make money off the fact that image comics are constantly shipping way past their announced dates, but it is instead killing the small press books who can't afford to take the hit. It's a three column rant, so we won't read it all, but highlights include Todd, Jim and Rob have made a mess with their bastard offspring of seven egomaniacs. Do your homework, kids, and you'll find that image cost capital more money than they made them. This is from the man who gained notoriety when he put out a comic called Kill Image through his Boneyard Press imprint. So he might be a bit biased. Uh, and, and, you know, a guy who writes a Jeffrey Dahmer comic, maybe not the most sympathetic character here, but w- whatever, we'll go on. It's uh, selling on eBay for 60 bucks right now. The, Kill the Image Dahmer or the comic. Jeffrey Dahmer one? The Jeffrey Dahmer comic. Oh. First printing. I gotta go through my long box, because I definitely bought it. What? Not. not. <laughs> I wouldn't buy this ass. <laughs> Jeffrey, sorry, anyway. <laughs> this is a very PG-13 episode, just right off the bat. Fisher goes on to say, the attitude of the money makers in this industry is, screw the independents, who needs them? You, the comic buyer, need them. We do the grunt work, take all the risks. There would be no vertigo without independents who build the adult audience to prove its viability to corporate bean counters. Believe me, this letter is a hell of a risk. Don't be surprised if Capital stops carrying all of Boneyard Press's books because of this letter three or four months down the road. So yeah, that was that. I mean, Image was everybody's whipping boy, and just because Image made all the money and nobody else was making the money, so you gotta hate them. They are the cause of all your problems. (laughs) <laughs> so finally, Ray Lopez of Richmond Hill, New York, found a wizard comedy Easter egg while getting into the nitty gritty details. The letter says, Dear Wizard, Hey, I was going through number 30 when I came to the ever popular price guide. As I was checking out some abbreviations, I came upon two famous names among the artists. They were Darth Vader and Elmer Fudd. Did I just stumble across a super secret contest or was this just for the heck of it? So Wizard responds, Actually, they're both top-notch comic artists. You can find Vader's work in the Alpha Flight Quasar miniseries, while Fudd is working on the upcoming Wetworks. <laughs> Classic middle school humor there, Wizard. Oh, love it. That was fantastic. <laughs> but enough of these rumors and opinions. We want the headlines. So, Michael, it's time for Wizard News.
Our top story tonight in Wizard News is that Marvel has secured the license to publish Disney comics, which is super ironic if you ask me because Disney now owns Marvel. Bizarro oh, yeah. world. That is a weird turnaround. It's super bizarre. They will start an adaptation of The Lion King, then release an ongoing Beauty and the Beast series set in the middle of the movie where Belle is living in the Enchanted Castle. And there's been a couple of movies that have kind of tied into this story, and my daughter is obsessed with those movies that show, like, the bridging of the gap of how long Belle was at the castle. An Aladdin comic that ties into the upcoming animated series that is rather short-lived, plus a Disney afternoon anthology book featuring my favorite Darkwing Duck and Tailspin among others. Do you remember the episode of Tailspin where Baloo is battling the guy who's like an android pilot and he's like falling asleep in the, in the cockpit? He, he like rigs up all these things to wake himself up. All I remember is Kit Cloud Kicker's Skyboard, whatever it was called. Oh, yes, yes. yes. I used to love Tailspin. I don't know. I like that show. I never liked it. Really? <laughs> Yeah, I remember getting excited about it, watching it on the Disney afternoon and being like, this sucks. <laughs> and then I stopped watching the Disney afternoon. Definitely more of a Darkwing Duck guy, yes. Oh, Did, I didn't like that either. What? You like Darkwing Duck? Well, I didn't really care for the for Disney afternoon, I'm sorry. I, I love DuckTales, though. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hardcore. I, I watched the reboot, too. I love the reboot. Of My daughter's super into the reboot right now. It's, and they canceled it. It's over. I know. What a bummer. So bummed. So, anyway, most interesting of all is that the little mermaid comic will not be written by peter david even though many issues back the prolific writer stated in an interview that he insisted to marvel that he should get the job whenever it became a a reality david blames his heavy workload for having to bow out of his writing gig under the sea sing it under the sea take it michael woo that's all you're getting from me (laughs) that's it i've already had one beer this evening it's almost 10 o'clock on the East Coast. I'm not saying <laughs> It's also reported that Zero Hour is nearly ready to launch, where it's promised that many changes will occur to the DC Universe. A new Starman and Doctor Fate ongoing series is promised, as are facelifts for Aquaman and Wonder Woman. We'll be doing a bonus episode covering the Beyond Zero Hour special issue by Wizard soon, which... As you know, there's been a ton of bonus episodes, and this is just another one of those bonus issues coming soon. It's crazy. I'm reading Zero Hour Collected Edition. Mm, I've bought it. It's sitting on my desk. (laughs) I've opened the cover. I've read, like, the forward. (laughs) It's taking me time. I got a lot going on. And Adam, for some insane reason, is reading 12 issues in the new Grim and Gritty Fate series. There's a lot to talk about, so stay tuned. As a follow-up to last month's report of Hamilton Comics publishing a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers comic book, that is apparently delayed due to licensing difficulties with Saban Entertainment. Uh Uh-oh. I love when we have those, like, one month, it's like, this is happening, next month's not happening. <laughs> Mike Allred has been asked to join Legend by John Byrne, Frank Miller, and the rest. The Easter Island head symbol will begin appearing on Madman Comics at Dark Horse with issue number two to show that Allred has been accepted as a peer by these revered comics creators. And Mike Allred, very active on our social media this last week as we're recording. He actually listened 
to episode 33. We are thrilled. He commented about specific things we said there and sent us a link to buy the black madman exclamation bolt t-shirt that he is now selling on yeah. his public store. And I bought it. There was a sale going on. It's on the way. So thanks, Mike Allred. That's he, cool. He even said he might be able to get that Wonder Bread madman figure going for me, which is I, I think I'm the only person campaigning for that. But man, would it be awesome. <laughs> A one-man campaign. It'll be as successful as my model by day campaign. Yes. <laughs> He'll sell you the prototype for really, really, really expensive. Yes. <laughs> Honey, I uh, needed a Wonder Bread Madman figure. <laughs> Sorry. Obviously. In addition to working for DC, Image, Valiant, and Silver Surfer for Marvel, Bart Sears is now launching his own comics imprint called Ominous Press, where his first title will be named after the comic book illustration tips feature he has been running in wizard for many issues brute and babe Ooh. he is planning to make his books just 17 pages with a seven page backup story because most artists are not comfortable working on 24 pages a month he's an artist he's running his imprint make it easy on the artist i guess I guess so. <laughs> you want a 90s news story? How about the fact that Marvel is licensing out their characters for a series of phone cards? What is a phone card, you ask? It's a card with a prepaid code you enter on a payphone so you don't have to put coins into the phone. What's a payphone? Ask your grandmother. <laughs> I also had some of these prepaid phone cards when I went to college because I had like what would be considered like a throwaway cell phone my first year in college. And my mom was like, you've only got like 15 minutes. I'm here. Some prepaid cards to, to call home. Yeah. I use them to order pizza. <laughs> yeah. So they mention in here that these phone cards were very popular internationally. And when I lived in Brazil, this was definitely how people were making phone calls. They were just everywhere. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's another layer of the onion is that you live in Brazil. He's mentioned this so many times in the podcast. Are you on the podcast? I, I, I must not be on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, but down there, they, their phone booths, they call them Aurelians, which means giant ears. Because it's like this big green thing that's like a, a shell that you stand inside. And they have a superhero who is a mascot for them. And so I actually got a picture with a promotional person that was standing in a supermarket once dressed as the prepaid phone guy. <laughs> and, he, and it was just, I don't even know the, the superhero character's name, but it, he always cracked me up because I would see him everywhere. So I was like, I gotta get a picture with you. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Oh boy. I must not be on this podcast because there's so many things that I forget or I miss or I don't even know what's going on. Speaking of old stuff, Mars Attacks, the ultra-violent Topps trading card set from the 1960s is being re-released by Topps, who will also publish a comic book written by Keith Giffen. This is before the Tim Burton movie was even being made or even i think talked about this is not an adaptation of that story there is also a promotional contest in this issue where you can win original art from the comic or a full set of comics or trading cards i actually really like 
the movie Mars Attacks, I never knew that it was trading cards. Really? Pre, pre- oh, yeah. No, I, didn't, I didn't know. Well, you're not from the 60s. It's understandable. But neither are you two, but you clearly knew about it. <laughs> well, but Stephen and I do those deep dives on any movie we see. We just spend hours learning yeah, everything yeah. about it. I was super excited for Mars Attacks, and I, oh my God, I watched every promotional video. I got every promotional book. Yeah. I was all in on that movie. Get the president out of here. <laughs> I love those kids. They're great. I, I just love the uh, the Jack Nicholson. Hey, Two out of three ain't bad after they like <laughs> they like napalmed one of the, the houses of Congress or something like that. It's pretty funny. So Boneyard Press run by Hart D. Fisher, who we spoke about in the letters section, is publishing a sequel to his Kill Image book titled Son of Kill Image, <laughs> where the controversial comics figure makes a cameo himself and gets killed okay that's the selling point of this one i get killed didn't he just spoil the whole story apparently it's like when you watch a trailer for a movie and they show the whole movie there you go great i don't need to buy it now i know you get killed in it fantastic wonderful speaking of image last episode we talked about dave cockrum's quitting of x-men for the second time to publish his creator own title the futurians According to Wizard News, Rob Liefeld has expressed an interest, which means, of course, that it will never happen. (laughs) Cracks me up. Take a drink. But Liefeld has already reported to have bought the rights to Battlestar Galactica and did actually publish a few issues of that 70s show adaptation. In more Liefeld news, boop, Rob has also licensed out characters like Prophet and Badrock to be featured on licensed skateboards. The good news is that when the deck gets scratched up from too many grinds down handrails, this is me saying that I don't know anything about skateboards. <laughs> the art may actually look better, but I'm shh. Sick burn. Take a drink. There's also a contest in this issue. There's a lot of contests in this issue where one reader and a friend 15 years or younger can win a day hanging out with Rob Liefeld as part of the Rob Liefeld Welcome Back to Comics Bash. Keep in mind, his absence from comics was only about three months, just like Rob's recent retiring from podcast which lasted all of about three weeks. Take a drink. Come back, Rob. Come back. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, please come back. Please, Rob Liefeld. Don't leave us. <laughs> the winners get flown out to California for a hotel stay and get tickets to Disneyland since there's no actual explanation for what Rob's plans are for the winner. We're willing to bet that whatever is scheduled for this meeting time, he most likely shows up an hour late if he shows up at all. Boom! Take a drink. There there was quite a few shots you had to take there during those last two bits of news, everybody. So you should have a pretty good buzz going right now. Do do people drink and listen to to this podcast? Well, Michael drinks and does the (laughs) podcast. (laughs) That's why he doesn't remember that you lived in Brazil. I don't remember what happened for lunch today, so please, this is pretty good. Finally, the big news of all, Mike Grell's Shaman's Tears, which we've all talked about ah, far too much, 
has finally found a new home and will be published by Axis Comics after having been dropped from the Image lineup several months ago. What is Axis Comics? It's the creator-owned imprint run by Larry Stroman and Todd Johnson. Who that Jack also- Napier? <laughs> Who's in charge over there? Eckhart, sir. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I got recited backwards and forwards. You idiot. <laughs> <laughs> who also had their book Tribe dropped by Image. Yes, we are all shedding shaman's tears of joy for a little comic book that could. Could it, though? I don't know. Bravo, I guess. <laughs> I have to keep hearing about shaman's tears. It's just fun to say. It's not. It's one of those things that I like. <laughs> I hear it in my head like I hear my children listening to Coco Melon. It's just constantly <laughs> torturing me. Dun, 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 dun. And now Adam is going to take us through our table of contents. So for the second month in a row, we have a Jim Ballant cover. And for the second time in Wizard history, it is a cover featuring female members of the X-Men. Now, if you've seen our standard episode art, you know we are big fans of this issue, especially Steven. This is my favorite single issue of Wizard. My copy, I got it the day it came out, and it's so beat up. I don't have a back cover. I have nothing. But, my God, do I love it. Now, check this out. So, according to the Wizard Big Book of Covers, all right... They say, so what bumps a Wizard X-Men cover? A different X-Men cover. Riding the momentum of Jim Ballant's white-hot bad girl art, Derek Robertson's Sabretooth at X-Men cover got the boot in favor of this cheesecake shot of X-Ladies. And it's interesting here they list Psylocke, Rogue, Jean Grey, Polaris, and Storm. And no, we don't recall how Polaris snuck on this cover. <laughs> yeah, but it's pretty interesting there that this is a thing where you just like, hey, oh, you know, everybody loved that Catwoman cover. Uh, Jim, can you draw us up something real quick? I'd really love to hear how that went. Like, he just had another one ready to go. Like, that's a pretty quick turnaround. But the sad news is, for the second time, once again, we do not get a poster of this beautiful art inserted into the issue. Instead, we get another gigantic Ultraverse poster, and on the back is an incredible Hulk poster that is promoting his AIDS awareness issue that is coming up. I gotta ask Wizard what was up with this. When this episode drops, we're throwing it to social media. Can you guys explain this? I can only imagine Jim Ballant just said, no, I'm gonna give you the art for the cover, but any prints in the future I will sell, so you cannot give away a free poster or something. I don't know. It blows my mind. Next up, uh, the first article here is, uh, I was a teenage mutant, and it is a discussion with X-Men, X-Factor, and Excalibur scribe Scott Lodell and hot new artist Chris Bocciolo, who drew Death, the High Cost of Living, and Ghost Rider 2099 for three issues about their upcoming book, Generation X. I will mention up top, if you guys know how to pronounce their names better, I always say Scott Lodell, but it could be Lobdell, and Chris Bocciolo could be Bacalo. This is how I go with it. So Bocciolo says, Generation X's mutants are not as pretty as the first generation of X-Men. A couple of them are monstrous. To which Lodell elaborates by saying that, quote, We're tired of Barbie and Ken-type mutants. If you were Jean Grey and you were a mutant, you could function in society. You can get by and be this, you know, hot uber babe. Generation X is more about the characters who cannot fit in and have no choice. 
So the initial team here for Generation X is Jubilee, Mondo, Husk, Skin, M, Penance, Sink, and of course, Chamber, with no bottom half of his head. Just lots of energy spewing out there. They are led by Banshee and are recently reformed since the death of the Hellions, Emma Frost. Some concerns are raised about there being an overabundance of X-Men books in this article, to which Liddell responds, quote, It's like saying to Madonna, Don't you think you've put out enough albums? Okay, so they sell millions and millions each time. Don't you think you should stop recording songs? And as we know, the X-Universe would only continue continue to expand throughout the decades. So yeah, no way they were going to stop that money train. Now, obviously, Steve and I are huge fans of the Generation X TV movie. You can check out our extensive conversation about the live action version of this comic in the show archives, but we're going to have to wait a few years before we read more about what Wizard had to say. Next up is In Darkest Night. It's an interview with Green Lantern writer Ron Mars and artist Daryl Banks about the fall of Hal Jordan in the Emerald Twilight storyline and the rise of a new Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner. Yes, the best. Now, Mars makes it clear that he was not a fan of the immense roster of 3,600 Green Lantern Corps members in the universe because it made the Green Lantern of Earth less special. So he's basically, like, glad Hal killed everyone off and, with Hal gone, that new readers could jump on board with a new character that doesn't have decades of continuity behind him. Now, speaking of continuity, there is also a sidebar about how many times Hal Jordan had been stripped of his ring you know in one case guy gardner was given the ring or he himself gave up the ring so then john stewart had to take his place or had the green lantern corps eliminated altogether by the guardians so this is not the first time that the world of the green lantern came apart like this now banks the artist says he came to dc wanting to draw green lantern his whole life stating quote i was constantly expressing interest and they were waiting for an opening but i didn't know that so dreams come true at dc comics the opening must have been, though, because sales of Green Lantern had reportedly dropped below 40000 a month. So the editorial team was trying to find a way to boost interest in the character. And according to Mars, they discussed a costume change, but Mars said, quote, Who cares? It had to be an intriguing story, an extension of the character in his situation now. And of the final fate of Hal Jordan, Mars says, quote, I view Hal as a broken man whose situation, the burden he's carried all these years, was finally too much to bear. And if you're a Green Lantern fan, then you're in luck, because in Robin's Reading Rainbow for this episode, we will be listening to Steven's personal review. He is the man who knows all about the universe of Kyle Rayner, so look forward to that coming up shortly here. I'm very excited to cover it. It's going to be very cool to hear from someone who was reading it at the time and loved it as much as you did. Now, as for the changes in store for this new Green Lantern, the editor of the book, Kevin Dooley, says he's been reading Green Lantern comics since 1959. It feels that what sets Kyle Rayner apart is, quote, One thing he has that Hal didn't is a vivid imagination. I've always thought a person with less willpower but a stronger imagination could come up with more ideas faster. Dooley has also mandated that Mars can't use the same ring projection twice to keep the book fresh and the readers on their toes. It's also revealed that Kyle's ring doesn't have the weakness against the color yellow, nor does it need to be recharged every 24 hours. Also, Rainer has no one to guide him on his path to becoming a hero and no instruction manual for using the ring, so it is a very greatest American hero type of situation here. 
Listen, I love Green Lantern. I'm going to take us down this tangent. Before Hal Jordan, the only Green Lantern Corps member of Sector 2814 was Abin Sir, who is not an Earthling, right? Clear? Agreed? We're on the same page? Yes. That's a fact. Okay. And they said whatever happened with all the Green Lanterns having 3,000 Green Lanterns, it made the Earthling Green Lanterns seem less significant. Fast forward to 2021, there are currently six Green Lanterns in Sector 2814 that are all Earthlings. I'm just saying. It doesn't make sense. And listen, I love all of them. I love Hal Jordan. I love Jon Stewart. I, I love Guy Gardner. I don't understand why he's a Green Lantern, but okay, fine. We covered it. We covered this one before. I know, but it just bothers me. I'm like, why of all this sector, we haven't gotten another Green Lantern from a different planet? Well, I think that's what you need to go in pitching, Michael. This is your opportunity. You need to say this this Green Lantern from another world who gets called in to defend our planet. That would be a very interesting storyline. I think you've got something there. I've got a couple stories that I would love to pitch to DC, and that is on the list. Are you guys listening, DC? Of course you're not. But if you were. (laughs) But I I got some good ideas. But yeah, you'll get you'll get Steven's take coming up soon. And yeah, that's going to be very cool. Next up, we have Prime Suspect. This is an interview with former Batman artist and current illustrator of Michael and Steven's favorite comic, Prime, Norm Brayfogle. Now, Brayfogle, they tell us that he studied illustration in college and then started sending out samples to publishers and showing his portfolio at San Diego Comic-Con, doing the whole thing. But he ended up getting signed by Mike Friedrich of Star Reach Productions, who Wizard interviewed many, many issues back about being the premier talent agent for comic book professionals. So Norm is one of the people he was speaking about in that article, but he was very hush-hush. He wasn't giving away his client names. But I love this story. Brayfogle said he sent sample pages of a Batman story to DC, but they didn't like his art. And then he sent the same story to Marvel, and they hired him to redraw it for Marvel Fanfare 29, but replace Batman with Captain America. And then Jim Shooter read the issue, and he said, This story was all wrong for Captain America. He acted like Batman. (laughs) So I just think that is uh, so awesome. And just the fact that even Jim Shooter was just so on the money, he knew the characterizations, right? He's like, this ain't a Captain America story. But Norm then went on to draw Batman for six years years at dc and i've said in the past he was my batman artist when i think of batman is kind of his weird kind of warped batman but then after six years he started to feel like he was ready for something new so he ended up being the artist on prime for malibu's ultraverse line which when he got the job he actually changed the character significantly from the original design concept about which prime writer len strazuski says quote one of our original notions was that prime's body is motivated in part by the subconscious of Kevin Green, who is the 13-year-old boy in the story. So as a result, Brayfogle says, quote, I've added 100 or 200 pounds of muscle and a lot of veins. So I know this is like your number one complaint about this character, why you guys have no interest in him. It's just he looks overblown and ridiculous, yes? It's a big part of it. That's 
a part of it. I don't know if it's the biggest part of it, other than I think that it's just... But that's all you know about it. You know the name, and you've seen a picture. <laughs> that's more than enough. More than enough. <laughs> but no, nothing about it ever really enticed us. We've seen yeah. the cover and read the description of the comics many times, and we just did not feel drawn into it. Yeah, no, I mean, it seems to be the case. Now, let me ask you about this, then. Because Brayfogle says he's stepping away from Prime after issue 12 to focus on a creator-owned project called Metaphysique, about a villain who is created after his experiments with womb tanks and meditational techniques are sabotaged. Sounds like a real winner, huh? You want a little bit of that? How much is that going for on eBay? <laughs> Look it up, Michael. Metaphysique. Can you spell that one? No, I can't. And, I, <laughs> the, and the moment I look it up, it's going to be stuck in my eBay feed for weeks. <laughs> to start recommending it to you. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of getting to know Prime, Michael and Steven are finally going to read a Prime comic, 100% against their will. But the issue that we have picked, it is the uh, first wait, full wait, story. We have picked? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That has been selected. <laughs> who, who is to blame for this? Is this a Nerd Jam thing? This is definitely a Nerd Jam thing. One of our patrons, he demanded it. So this is going to be part of a live reading that we are going to do as a Patreon video. So we are literally going to make Steven and Michael read a comic. We're going to act it out to the best of our abilities. You will get their reactions in real time. Okay? And uh, the, the every pained and anguished look, every expletive uttered, you will get it right there as soon as they've read it. So sign up to get access to this. And so much more that's already there in the the patreon feed so we invite you to join us but finally here this is called bona fide success it is an interview with jeff smith the creator of the wildly successful independent bone comic series which we discussed last episode now smith explains just to give you guys some background that he created the characters in elementary school as stories set in the town of boneville then he resurrected the characters in college where it was published as a daily comic strip in the school newspaper and the first few issues are actually reproductions of the original comic strip and funny thing about this so uh at illustrator eric who has been a guest on some episodes he actually told us that he went and talked to jeff smith at a con and jeff smith told him that when he was submitting his bone to the school newspaper they asked couldn't you make it more like garfield <laughs> so yeah probably wouldn't have had the same impact but smith now reveals that he is expanding his old comic strip story he has a 10-year plan to continue it and it could go beyond that now before launching the comic smith had his own animation studio so wizard asks if he'll be making a bone animated film smith explains he's unsure if it would actually get made which it hasn't to date which actually really surprises me it seems like that would have been adapted at some point but he must be holding tight to it but Bone is about to get a lot more exposure. This was the big news to me. In Disney Adventures magazine. We were just talking about the Disney afternoon. Did you guys read some Disney Adventures back in the day? Did you buy it at the supermarket? I did. I definitely did. A lot of them. I probably did. I would assume so, yeah. Yeah, me too. I loved it so much. Especially like that first one with Rick Moranis on the cover. I was a cool nerd. That was the cover <laughs> yes. story. I loved yes. it. And definitely for the comics. That was mostly what I was gonna gonna read when I picked that up. But that's what's interesting about this. Now they basically said, Hey, 
we want to split up the first issue of Bone over a few issues of Disney Adventures and then print a brand new side adventure story that Smith is going to write that's kind of taking place in between issues. So if you are out there and you are a Bone completionist, you didn't know about that, you got to pick up some back issues of Disney Adventures magazine. I have one actually right here. It's got Candace Cameron on the cover, but it's from 1992, so it's before the Bone era. <laughs> But they ask Smith if he has any other comics projects planned after Bone, to which he says he has a few. One of those ended up being a limited series called Razzle, R-A-S-L, which is my preferred Jeff Smith story. I have, like, the oversized collections, and it's really trippy, kind of about dimensional travel and all this stuff. I really love it. So if you've never been into Bone, you might like Razzle. Speaking of Bone, as we close out here, there's a funny little Easter egg in this issue where Wizard placed Phone Bone who is one of the characters on top of the cover of issue 14 of Uncanny X-Men because he is in the same pose as a sentinel that is on the cover. So it's pretty hilarious. At first I was like, is there a contest in here? But there wasn't. They were just being silly. But now that we've talked about Bone and we've in the past we've mentioned the lack of familiarity that Michael and Steven have with it, we're finally going to put that to rest. We're finally going to open up the doors. And so we will give it to you on the mini episode. You will hear the three of us discussing our thoughts on Bone. Again, first time experience for Steven and Michael. It's a revisiting on my end. And so yeah, look for that also on YouTube so you can get our facial reactions to what it's all about. But again, something for you to look forward to for mini episode 34.5 well we talked about bone not becoming a movie unfortunately but there were some comic books being adapted and news and rumblings so steven it's time for heroes in motion So I just have to say that at this time, I was picking up Wizard, and the first section I would flip to was this one, just to read Batman Forever news. I was so thrilled for Batman Forever that every morsel of information, I just like salivated over it. And so in this issue, it says a very big piece of news. Robin Williams has officially signed on to play the Riddler in Batman 3, which is not true at all for 1989 batman nicholson turned down batman and and robin williams really wanted the joker role in that and so they then hired robin williams as bait to get nicholson to sign on and yeah, williams was pissed it. yeah like really infuriated so they were negotiating the bachelors who wrote the first draft of this were negotiate or had planned it for robin williams and there were negotiations going on with Robin Williams. They did not work out. Some speculate that Robin Williams just didn't want to do it after the way he was treated. Others say that uh, Joel Schumacher wanted Jim Carrey to do it and was lobbying hard for Jim Carrey. So it, it was somewhere in there. I, I, I've, heard, I've heard some of the same stuff. I've also heard the fact that once Tim Burton and Michael Keaton were out, Robin Williams wanted nothing to do with it as well. That's what I've heard. Which kind of makes sense. Yeah. So as we know, Jim Carrey got the role... Jim Carrey is also mentioned in this article as the lead in The Mask, which is opening on July 24th of 1994. Great movie, by the way. But one Robin will be featured in Batman 3, and it's The Boy Wonder, which the studio insisted upon so that it could add the character to its merchandising line. Finally, we get Robin in a movie. Thank you, Batman Forever. It's all we wanted. <laughs> and lastly, Billy D. Williams is disappointed that he will not be back 
to play Two-Face in Batman 3, since playing a villain was the only reason he agreed to do the role of Harvey Dent in the first film. Bummer. Yeah. Big bummer. Speaking of Batman films, it's revealed that Elizabeth Kane, the wife of Batman co-creator Bob Kane, had a small cameo in Batman Returns and was even supposed to appear in the original movie, but the British Actors Union wouldn't allow it. Of course, she is featured in Batman Forever, as well as Batman and Robin as Gossip Gertie. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love those glasses. Uh, I don't like the Gossip Gertie character. <laughs> it's, a big, it's a big character. She's very big. Bruce, uh, what are you doing here at this event? Yeah. <laughs> She's mostly like in the scenes with uh, George Clooney and Julie Madison, played by Elle McPherson. Yeah. She has a lot of stuff going on there. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Apparently, a bus ad for Malibu Comics is featured prominently in the new Charlie Sheen uh, film, The Chase. I love that movie. I love Rich. Reportedly exposed half a million viewers to the Ultraverse brand name. I, I rented that movie like summer of 94, and my cousins and brother and I, we, we loved it. It's a terrible movie. That, is that the one about aliens, or is that a different no, one? No, that's The Arrival. Oh, The Arrival. So, so Charlie Sheen is like a out of work rentable clown. What? And, and, so, <laughs> and then some guy who dresses as a clown, like knocked over a convenience store and killed some people, and Charlie Sheen gets framed for it, and then he somehow hijacks some rich girl in a BMW and tries to make a run for it to, to Tijuana. And played, played by Christy Swanson, by the way. Yes, Christy Swanson, that's right. And they had this whole, like, O.J. Simpson-style car chase down the freeway in in Los Angeles, running all the way to, to Mexico. <laughs> I'm laughing already. It's not a comedy. <laughs> they have a wild driving sex scene. That is so, like, out of this world. That's the only thing you needed to mention to, to really sell it. There's, yeah, there, he's driving the car, like, at, you know, whatever it is, 70 miles an hour, and they're having sex while that? being chased by the police. <laughs> A full-on sex scene. Yeah, and it goes into this, like, you know, metaphysical, like, dreamscape as he's having sex and driving. Wow. But, Steven, better or worse than The Shadow? It is, it, it's, it's worse than The Shadow. Yes! No, not I'm sorry. <laughs> and also, by the way, a great brand placement for Malibu, a movie where Charlie Sheen is having sex with Christy Swanson during a high-speed police chase. Perfect for your for your comics geared towards children. Dead-on advertising. Good for your brand. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, Wizard continues to report that the animated Spider-Man series debuting on Fox in the fall is called The Spectacular Spider-Man, which we all know is shortened to simply Spider-Man upon its release. Also, the debut of the Tick cartoon was delayed on the Fox Kids Network and will hopefully show up this fall, which it does, and it is awesome. Oh my god, that Tick cartoon was the funniest. Finally, we just covered The Rocketeer on the Patreon-exclusive 90s Super Cinema podcast which is available for free on the Box Office 30 podcast feed, by the way. And one thing we didn't know while recording was that Dave Stevens, the creator of The Rocketeer, has a cameo as the Nazi rocket pack test pilot who explodes during the test footage. Oh, wow. I did not know that. That's that's an interesting cameo for a creator. Yeah. Yeah. The exploding Nazi, I'll play that. Well, Steven, I think the listeners have waited long enough. Yes, they are definitely green with envy that you got to read all these Green Lantern comics back in the day and that you're so passionate. So why don't you give us some of that Robin's Reading Rainbow?
Hi everyone, this is Steven, and I will be reviewing Emerald Twilight books one, two, and three for the podcast this week. You know, this storyline was kind of written to build off of Nightfall and the death of Superman. And for me in middle school, this was more impactful than both of them. This is a storyline that hit me very hard. It came at just the right time in my life. I was a big Green Lantern fan before this, but I kind of found Hal Jordan to be not one dimensional, but almost untouchable. You know, he was this perfect human being. He was strong. He was smart. He was brave. And I wasn't those things. And I looked up to Hal, but I couldn't really relate to Hal. And this storyline basically broke Hal Jordan. The basic premise is that his hometown of Coast City is destroyed during the Reign of Superman storyline. And Hal wants to use the power of the ring to resurrect the town, resurrect the people that he's lost, including Carol, and the Guardians won't let him. And so he loses his mind and goes on a kill-crazy rampage as Quentin Tarantino would say. And issue 48, which was the first book in Emerald Twilight, uh, was written by Ron Mars, who is probably probably my favorite comic book writer and I've met him at conventions. And it's really hard to sum up when you meet someone at a convention what their work means to you. I tried really hard. When I did meet him, I had him sign my, my copy of Green Lantern 51. I told him, this is like, this is my favorite comic book ever. This book means the world to me. And that's really all I could say. So he was the writer of, of Green Lantern 48. And that's the start of this. It's almost like a Ghost of Christmas past storyline where Hal is able to recreate his family with the power of the ring. But it's fleeting. It's going to disappear. So in the next issue, 49, which has a very iconic cover with Hal wielding multiple power rings with this crazy look in his eyes and kind of the tint of green written once again by Ron Mars pencils by Fred Haynes this is when the real battle begins and Hal starts to fight through the Green Lantern Corps basically starts killing them killing his friends and the people that he loved just to get to this central power source because he feels like this is what he needs to resurrect the people that he loves and finally, at the end of this issue, Hal faces off against his greatest foe, Sinestro. And that's the cliffhanger. Uh, you've got Hal versus Sinestro. And that sets up Green Lantern number 50, which has another iconic cover, Glow in the Dark. I had multiple copies of this for whatever reason. I think partially because it was in a Toys R Us multi-pack and every time... I'd buy the Green Lantern multi-pack to get a couple new issues. 50 was always in there. And so I had a lot of copies of 50. And this is the first time that Daryl Banks is doing the pencils with Ron Mars as the writer. And this is my favorite Green Lantern duo. As I said, I met Ron Mars a few years ago at a convention. He signed my copy of Green Lantern 51. In 2019, I went to the Rhode Island Comic Con and I was going for a film festival screening and I had seen that Daryl Banks was going to be there, but it kind of slipped my mind. I forgot to bring my comic book and then I just saw him sitting there and I was like, oh crap, I meant to bring a comic book. But luckily he had a poster of Green Lantern number 51, which I did buy. So now I have Ron Mars' signature on one thing, Daryl Banks on another, and hopefully one day I can get them on the same piece of art. But yes, so this is kind of the final battle between Hal and Sinestro. It's a knockdown, drag-out fight, a little reminiscent of the Doomsday-Superman battle. A lot of blood, a lot of torn clothing. And then after Hal kills Sinestro, he goes one-on-one with Kilowog. And, you know, Kilowog is a beloved character. And Hal shows him no mercy. He 
blasts him with the Green Lantern ring, turns him into a, a flaming skeleton, cries by his side, and you know at that point it's over. Hal's gone. He's completely gone. And he turns into Parallax. And the book ends with a character who, who would go on to become my favorite character of the 90s, Kyle Rayner as Green Lantern. And when I say that Hal is perfect, and there's no way to get into Hal as a, you know, I was an overweight, acne-ridden kid. I didn't have a lot of friends. And comic books were my lifeline. They were what kept me going. You know, month after month, I knew I could go to the comic book store, pick up my issue of Green Lantern, pick up my issue of Fantastic Four. And this is what I had to look forward to. And with Kyle Rayner, I could relate to him. You know, he was not perfect. He made a lot of mistakes as Green Lantern. He was learning on the job and he was new to it. And there was something exciting about picking it up with a character who was new to the job. He wasn't someone who had been Green Lantern since my dad was a kid. He was my Green Lantern. And, you know, you meet him in the last few pages of this issue. He's a total Gen X guy. He's got the nine inch nail shirt. He's got the leather jacket. He's like, you know, kind of behind a club or a bar in like an alleyway. And he's just handed this ring. And it sets up this storyline of this kind of imperfect uh, Green Lantern, kind of like, you know, the last choice, learning how to wield this power. And again, it's hard to put into words how much this story meant to me. It really was impactful. I spent a lot of time alone reading these comics, fantasizing about being Kyle Rayner, having his power, uh, having his charm. And you hear stories about kids in the 60s reading Spider-Man and, and thinking, oh, this is, this is me. They get me. And that's how I felt with Kyle Rayner and Ron Mars' writing and Daryl Banks' artwork. And, you know, in addition to that, just the buildup to the Kyle Rayner storyline with Emerald Twilight was so bananas. I mean, it was just, I remember talking to my friend Chris about it in school and we're just like, Greenlander's gone nuts. He's killing people. He's, he's killing all of his friends. Like, w- 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 this is crazy. It was pretty unprecedented to take this, you know, beloved hero. And, you know, Jean Grey was obviously kind of a template for that. But Lantern was, was Lantern. And before this, before this storyline, he didn't really have any cracks in the armor. And then all of a sudden, he cracks big time. And it gives way to Kyle Rayner and, and again, my favorite Green Lantern storyline. So if you've never read Emerald Twilight, I really recommend it. You've got to pick it up. It's just a magnificent piece of writing and art. That's my take. So now, Michael, why don't you help us sort through a fresh pack of Gambit's Deck of Cards. DC Comics is following Marvel's lead with their own line of fully painted trading cards called DC Master Series, which features yet another 3D sky disc card, as in the recent Batman set, this time of Superman. I truly have forgotten how big trading cards were back then. It was like massive it's so bizarre well what's strange is i was collecting so many and i collected you know the first three or four series of marvel masterpieces i have no recollection of this dc series at all i don't remember it either the tops release of mars attacks will feature 35 all new cards with art by illustrators like Mike Mignola, Simon Beasley, Tim Truman, and more. Wizard notes that the 
and more might include famed fantasy illustrator Frank Frazetta, who has been contacted about participating. Stephen Seamus reports that the Simpsons Series 2 cards have sold out and are still selling very well on the secondary market due to the many chase cards. What was the secondary market before the internet? The case at the trading card store (laughs) where they were selling them for marked up prices. Also, that the recent Ultraverse 2 Origin set is selling better than the original Ultraverse set that came out in 1993 during the launch of the comics, which was before the public had any familiarity of any of those characters. Yeah, it was not a good strategy. It's like, hey, buy cards of people you don't know. (laughs) Great, cool. Finally, Skybox reports that they have a tentative late summer release date for a set of cards based on Rob Liefeld's Youngblood comics. Tentative and late. The two words most associated with Rob Liefeld's career. Oh, snap! (laughs) Take another drink. (laughs) Well, speaking of uh, one of the image guys, there's a couple others who maybe have a little bit better track record. Yes, it's time for Jim and Todd's Hype Machine. So Ghibli's Wildcats cartoon series is set to debut on CBS Saturday mornings this fall, but CBS is no longer interested in a Savage Dragon cartoon because it's not a team series that can compete with Fox's X-Men cartoon, which is a juggernaut at this point. Though it does get produced eventually and is actually currently available for streaming on the Peacock Network. I was just randomly searching cartoons the other day and I was like, Savage Dragon? So if you're interested. (laughs) Meanwhile, there are rumors that Todd McFarlane's got a deal with HBO to produce a Spawn animated series, which of course, as you know, was hugely popular upon its release. Continuing on with trading card news, though, Jim Lee's Wildstorm Series 1 set has an ad in this issue stating, quote, first you see the light, then you feel the thunder. <laughs> okay, Jim, if you say so. The set features 100 fully chromium cards with art of Wildcats, Gen 13, Wetworks, Deathblow, and other characters being drawn by Jim Lee, Mark Silvestri, J. Scott Campbell, and more. Some of the chase cards will even be signed by the artists, and the cards can also reportedly be used to play a combat card game. So that's kind of a, a cool new twist to add to your set. It's like, yes, collect them. Yes, they're all chromium. And play a game. I was like, wow, it's pretty good value. It's like Pogs and taking your textbook, ripping out a page and making a a paper football and playing that in the cafeteria. Now, uh, Todd McFarlane's ego column this month is advice to people looking to break into the comics business, which is what every successful comics creator is just asked over and over again. So Todd basically says that to bypass the submissions editor is the best idea when you're sending in your samples because they don't have the ability to hire you. And this advice may not have sat well with comics editors who are about to receive a deluge of unwanted submissions. So as a result, Wizard has a disclaimer at the bottom of the page stating that, quote, the opinions expressed in this column are not necessarily those of wizard the guide to comics 
That's pretty good. That's funny. The rest of his advice is just about persevering in the face of rejection, which is what everybody says if you're a famous actor or singer or successful in everything. You're going to hear no, get used to rejection. But he does provide one more interesting piece of advice, which is to pick four pages of a comic by a publisher that you're submitting to that you think sucks and then redraw it your way to show how you could do it better. I thought that was pretty good. I guess the editor might agree with you, I assume. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that one came out terrible. So that brings us to the count. In this issue, Jim Lee mentioned seven times. Todd gets six mentions, which brings our total. Jim Lee, 211 mentions. Todd, 202. They have both broken the 200 mentions barrier. So the race is on. But Steven, I think it's time to go over to the toy aisles for... Azrael's Action Figure Fury. The new Toying Around columnist Sean Ahn provides a biography of himself that claims that he started collecting comics at age 4 and then opened his Splash Page comic store at the age of 15 and now at age 22 has a mail-order division that sells to all 50 states and 23 foreign countries. Wow, overachiever here. This guy knows his toys. Sean provides more coverage from Toy Fair 94 and kicks things off with a preview of Kenner's The Shadow Line of Toys. Huzzah. Uh, Adam has all of his carded on us. <laughs> I gotta mute myself. <laughs> We're all thrilled about the shadow line of toys. Adam has all of these carded and on display in his office. He's very proud. And then in parentheses, it says we all make mistakes. Now, so Adam, did you buy these when they came out or have these been eBay purchases or Goodwill or... I bought them when they came out. I bought almost all of them that I could find in the discount racks. And so I had them. They were very cheap. I bought the collector's case. I kept them in there for years. And so I've, I've had them. And then, yeah, in later years, in like the last five years, I got them all on card to keep in display. So I have the loose figures and I have the carded figures and I have the mail away ring. Because back in the day, I actually clipped out the proofs of purchase. I had them ready to send... They just stayed in my collector's case. I never mailed them in, and I regretted it for years. Then I finally found the ring a couple of years back, and I was so excited. So how much are these things going for? I'm assuming not that much. Well, five years ago, they weren't going for very much. And okay. with everything else, like trading cards and everything else that people are investing in, they've all jumped up more than what I paid for them back in the day. So it's some okay. of the gifts that my other nerdy friends have sent me, and they know my love for it. So I have multiples of some things. Even one was a, a friend who down the street, his wife was making him clear out his old 90s action figure collection. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, you want to come to my house? You can pick some stuff out. So like, I got some shadow figures from him there too that I already had, but I was like, oh, it's good to have a backup. Sure. I actually just got one. My friend Evan sent me the quick draw shadow figure. It's the For best some reason, one. He had it's that. beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I'll say that. It's the best of these. <laughs> uh, so, so in this article, Sean mentions that in addition to these nine figures and four vehicles that were doomed to haunt the shelves of KB Toys for years. That That's true. They were in the discount racks forever. There may be a Shadow's hideout playset. Did this happen? 
Adam? Sadly, no. Yeah, obviously this line was doomed almost immediately. Like, yeah, it, it did not take anybody by storm. So yeah, there was no second wave. There was nothing else. And so this is the saddest thing. So I know that uh, Dean, by the way, who was on our Comic Fest 93 episode at Revenger Lamar. Sure. He has my back on this. He loves these figures too, as does uh, Paxton Holly, who's been on the show. But this is a thing where there was this picture floating around on the internet of Kenner's offices and the dumpster out back of Kenner's offices and there is a standee of the shadows sticking out of their dumpster basically just indicating what they thought and I want that standee can somebody (laughs) just find me that standee come on well much like the Rocketeer the shadow has one hero and one villain and that's that's the whole toy line I mean what do you do you can't really build off those characters it's very true that's why yeah there's like four shadows and like two Shiwan cons and then they like pulled in like some random character from the Shadow Pulp novels who has nothing to do with the movie is not in the movie Dr. Mokino and he's suddenly in there and you're like "Uh, okay he's a bad looking guy I guess yeah so but I gotta say they really did a nice job with the vehicles like the cab and Shadow's like Mirage kind of Batmobile style thing like it's really they look beautiful a lot of people just like to play with them from what I've heard a lot of people say I didn't watch the movie but I bought the cheap toys and they were fun to play with so they had a cab but not a peter boyle action figure i know that was disappointing Mo shrevnitz nothing okay i think we've spent enough time talking about the shadow <laughs> <laughs> speaking of toys that seem to, to go directly to discount toy stores cadillacs and dinosaurs inspired by the short-lived cbs cartoon series that was inspired by the mostly unknown comic book provides lots of human heroes but only two dinosaurs as well as the title cadillac vehicle i had one of these toys I bought it from the discount aisle of Toys R Us, and I used it to paint my own Superman action figure because that year in my American history class, I wrote a long report on the Golden on Age Lois of comic Clark. books. On Lois and Clark <laughs> and how Dean Cain sucks. Uh, on the Golden Age of comic books, it was a, you know we had to write like a you know like a half year or quarter long report, and I wrote it about that. And so I built a diorama of Action Comics number one. Wow! And I had Superman smashing like the like a model of a 1930s car. I wish I still had that diorama. That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, that's why I bought the Cadillacs and Dinosaurs figure. Wait, I feel like every time at Homemade Heroes, you're always like, is that a Cadillacs and Dinosaurs figure? Because that's like your go-to customizable figure. Well, I got the idea from Wizard. <laughs> <Just> everyone <laughs> was customizing Cadillacs and Dinosaurs figures. So there you go. Mike Allred has a Madman toy line in the works being sculpted by Randy Bowen, which do eventually get released in various styles and with accessory packs, sold only in comic book specialty stores. These were the same figures like sculpted. This Randy Bowen also did like the Jay and Silent Bob figures, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he did a lot, and, and so many, like, just, yeah, busts and things oh, of superheroes. Yeah, yeah, he was the guy. I love Bowen design stuff. Oh, my God. Big fan. Yeah. Big fan. All right. Finally, Wizard answers a question asked by many readers as to why the colors of the Toy Biz Cannonball figure were changed during its shipment to stores. Apparently, the planned accent color was purple, but the paint changed to pink when mixed with the plastic, so they changed the paint to a darker purple to fix it. But how the handful of pink figures made to stores are a rare, valuable error variant. Is that true? Yeah, that's the word. So apparently there are pink cannonballs that are worth more. I have the purple cannonball on my shelf. I can oh, see really? it. Oh, really? Yeah. But I feel like I've seen the pink. I thought the pink... 
eventually got like re-released by Toy Biz. It sounds like that was the original run. Now I will get that. <laughs> so hey, and you want valuable? Michael's got you covered with Punisher's Price Guide. As follow-up to the previous installment, where we mentioned the shady nature of Wizard listing their Max Half issue as a hot comic, they print a letter in the Market Watch section from a reader named Patrick Keck requesting to know why they had not listed it up to that point. So Wizard explains that they were wary about putting the Wizard Half in there but readers asked for it, and the dealers told them it was in demand. Was it in demand? Maybe then. I don't know. Just really quick, I found the pink cannonball on eBay. Yes? It's going for, on the box, $9.99 or best offer. Wow. There's one, one for $2.99, but it has $9.50 shipping. So, you know. So it was a short window where it was a rare and collectible figure. I found a $15 one. That's about as high as it goes. Briefly This is going to reignite the excitement over Pink Cannonball. This will be the model by day of this podcast. <laughs> Feels like a song, Pink Cannonball. I don't know why. <laughs> Moving on. We are at the dawn of the bad girl era of comics, with Lady Death appearing in the top ten hottest comics list, Vampirella being the subject of an official wizard contest in the previous issue, and speaking of Dawn, according to the Wizards Price Guide tip sheet, Cry for Dawn number one was selling for sixty dollars in nineteen ninety four. Nowadays on eBay, the first printing sells for eighty dollars and the second printing for about forty five and the third printing for around $25. Of course, graded copies go for double those prices. So Cry for Dawn number one is actually a Firestar because it's gone up in value. And I was following it on eBay for a while, never ordered it, and I've seen it for around the $25 to $35 range, and I guess I was looking at the third printing of it. Wait, 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 Michael. Are you a Cry for Dawn reader? Are you interested in this book? What do you know about Cry for Dawn? Nothing. I was just fascinated by it. I I just... (laughs) Well, there's what well, fascinated by what exactly, Michael? The, co- the cover is really cool, and I was kind of curious <laughs> about the character. I mean, isn't that how you oftentimes get suckered into buying a comic because the cover looks cool, and you're just like, well, I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is this is the book that I was ashamed to look at in the '90s when I saw it on the top rack, away from children's eyes. And I would walk in, and there's this woman in lingerie with super heavy mascara, and it was always that adult book you seem like they wouldn't let me buy so i'm just so curious are you is because it's just a picture of her face and that looks cool no it was like a green and almost like a like a poison ivy style bodysuit that she's wearing in the cover that i've seen i don't know if i'm looking at the wrong thing but it's like wizard presents a genesis edition dawn cover and she's wearing like a black and green costume i hope you do buy it because i want to know what's in those pages i have never read a cry for dawn book steven and no it michael is this a cry for help (laughs) all my life (laughs) oh this cover i recognize this cover (laughs) 
I now you found it. Yes, I, I am well aware. <laughs> well, speaking of covers that'll get your attention, it's time to bring you some of Guy Gardner's gimmicks a go go. How bizarre! Now, as mentioned in our recent Beginning of the Valiant Era bonus episode, go back and listen, Star Watchers, which when it hits the shelves is retitled to Psy Lords, features a wraparound chromium cover and every month will be printed for use with Valiant Vision glasses. Which makes me wonder, is this the first, like, ongoing gimmick? Because it's, like, literally, it's planned to be part of the series is you can read it in 3D Valiant Vision, essentially. So I think that's kind of another innovation that Valiant brought to the the industry there now also on that bonus episode our guest chris bailey uh charlton underscore hero on twitter mentioned that the only way to find copies of early valiant comics and quarter bins again the early books which had very low print runs was if the special mail away coupon had been removed because they lose all their value and wizard confirms this when they respond to a reader who's asking about the value of polybag books and then they elaborate further by saying quote comic without their inbound coupon are worth a fraction of uncut books. So apparently you gotta have the whole gimmick or it's no gimmick at all. These mail-away coupons that they were putting in there. Like, what they said is you had to get eight issues, the first eight issues of Magnus Robot Fighter and pull out the coupon and mail it in to get a special, like, zero issue of Magnus Robot Fighter back in the day. That's nuts. And you couldn't find those books, so you were paying, like, a premium price and then cutting up the comic. Now, Forceworks number one features a very elaborate pop-up cover printed on cardstock. Michael actually busts out this cover on a recent edition of Gimmick's Grab Bag over on our YouTube channel. So if you want to see it in action, head over to YouTube. Michael, yeah, that, that you couldn't even put it back together, right? No, it totally destroyed. And I, it was, I literally just bought it because I was like, oh, it's a gimmick. I don't know what's in it. Looks cool. <laughs> <laughs> didn't way. open it until the video nope just took money and set it on fire <laughs> <laughs> now uh worlds collide number one which you'll recall is the dc comics milestone crossover which is going on will feature vinyl cling images that you can arrange yourself on the cover we actually featured a similar uh superman book that had him fighting lobo on one of our videos way back when so this is a, a fun gimmick that dc was returning to finally also being released this month is a Lady Death swimsuit special, number one. And let's be honest, pale, busty ladies drawn in skimpy outfits was a gimmick that kept on giving for the next few years of this bad girl era. But also, when you think about it, isn't every issue of Lady Death a swimsuit issue? She's just wearing a black bikini with a cape. That's her outfit. More or less. <laughs> but, is she, but is she on a beach or near a pool? There's the difference. There it, it really is right there. It really makes a swimsuit issue. Shut my mouth. <laughs> That being the case, then, you know, Lady Death, we mentioned, was in the top ten hottest comics this month, but we have another top ten to get to. Michael, it's time for... Turok's Top Ten. time we do these top 10 lists i always get the worst ones to read and (laughs) 
I am going to nominate Steven to read number 10, and we'll go down from there. Okay. I will mention, guys, this is the only part of the magazine I do not read until we record, so that I am just as surprised as you guys. Good. So, tonight's top ten list, or, or this episode's top ten list, is top ten things Robin took with him when he left the Batcave. So keep in mind here, guys, this is because Azrael said, I don't need a sidekick. Beat it, kid. Number 10, Aunt Harriet's Ashes. Shimony. Oh, <laughs> Poor Aunt Harriet. Number 9, Bruce Wayne's near-mint copy of Detective 27. Number 8, Jason Todd's old Playboys. Jason <laughs> Todd was a tiny kid. He shouldn't have had Playboys. Come on. Number 7, the Kryptonite Ring. Just in case Superman gets steamed when Robin makes time with Lois. Wow. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm starting to figure out a pattern here. It's yeah. the, the 10, the 7, like the 4 are always the worst ones for some reason. Number 6, the handbrake to Bruce Wayne's wheelchair. That'll teach him to leave Asriel in charge. <laughs> oh, That's dark. Oh, That's more of a Jason Todd move, I think. Ooh, God. Yeah. Number five, Alfred's medication. But he's got McGregor syndrome. <laughs> How do you stave off McGregor syndrome? Wheat cakes probably calls up and they, they send him over different users. Vichyssoise. It's so. supposed to be cold, sir. Number four, Bruce and Selena Kyle's private home video featuring the bat, the cat, and hey, what's that? <laughs> Zing! Probably a better movie than taking out the penguin. Jeez. <laughs> oh, but the better thing is his penis. <laughs> That's a better movie? I guess so. But I guess Danny DeVito's performance is like a walking penis. Just... Is it? Is that is that what your Batman Returns 90s Super Cinema review is all about? He's so gross and oh, ogling man. women and... Try... Oh, it's disgusting. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of that. He's a horny little guy. Number three. His Clearasil pants. Wow. So, Michael, you wanted the safest joke on the list. You got it. That's a Batman joke. I guess maybe he gets acne from wearing the cowl and, like, he gets sweaty forehead. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, the big penny. I would steal the big penny, too, without a doubt. That's a lot of work, getting that big penny out of there. It's true, but Batman's got a lot of vehicles. He's got to fit it in something and get it out of there. (laughs) Number one, Bruce Wayne's bank card. Parentheses, P-A-R-T-Y. Because I gotta. Gotta. (laughs) Soon to be featured in Batman and Robin. Wow, maybe that's where they got the idea. They were reading the Wizard Top Ten list, and they said that would make a great gag. I find that very hard to believe. Yeah, let's not blame Wizard for that one. Was it Akiva Goldsman? Is he the one who wrote that one? He did, yes. Yeah, so come on, he was reading Wizard. You know it. Maybe. He just said something very cryptic, by the way, in an interview. Because there's like this new thing where people are trying to get the Joel Schumacher cut of Batman Forever released, which was a longer cut, Mm -hmm. a little bit darker. And he said, for whatever 
whatever reason, he just rewatched it recently. What? And so he and he kind of like hinted that something was coming. Okay. So man, let me tell you, I want a Batman Forever director's cut so bad. I'm sure you do. Although I have to say, if they're not going to give us the Suicide Squad David Ayer cut, and we're going to go all the way back to the 90s, I'm kind of disappointed. Really? You, you want a Suicide Squad cut over a Batman Forever cut? Well, I love that the Suicide Squad movie as it is. Really? So I, yeah, I, that's oh. my favorite DC movie. Like, really? I love that movie, yeah. Your, your taste in movies is far different than mine, my friend. It's ridiculous and fun, and I love that. I like about the first eight minutes when Batman's rounding them up, but then beyond that, I don't care. <laughs> that happens in the movie? That's how it opens? Yeah. I haven't watched it. It's horrible. It's so bad. Must miss. <laughs> Must miss. Basically ends with the, you know, Diablo guy saying, I lost one family. I don't want to lose another. Literally 12 hours after they met each other. <laughs> <laughs> the ending is dumb. I'm not going to fight you on that. But the ride is a fun ride. Let's put it that way. Okay, sure. Well, we hope this was a fun ride for you. Thank you for joining us for issue 34 of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. We'll be back. And we hope that you Liefeld fans are sufficiently drunk enough to start angrily tweeting us at Wizards Comics on Twitter, at Wizards underscore comics on Instagram. Of course, you can always find us on your Facebook favorite podcast app just go ahead and search it or if you want to find the hub of all great retro podcasts go to theretronetwork.com they are our home they have great great podcasts going on all the time including michael's own box office 30 where we mentioned you can actually get our super secret release of the rocketeer episode of 90s super cinema of course we've hyped it enough but if you want to check out our patreon we promise you will not be disappointed everybody's having a great time over there we're having a good time well, we'll see how much of a good time Michael and Steven have reading Prime. <laughs> also, if you missed any of our previous episodes, you can now go to our website, wizardscomics.com, and get all of the episodes we've ever released for this podcast. Whoa. So, yes, yeah, certainly get on there, bookmark it, wizardscomics.com, as well as the Wizard Files series continues to go on. We have many more interviews lined up with former Wizard staffers. By the way, if you were a reader, back in the day of the website Topless Robot, you may not have known that that was being run by a former Wizard staffer. I just interviewed him, Rob Bricken, and it was a pretty fascinating discussion there. Plus, we have Russ Wooten. Uh, you should have listened to that by now, and he had some great stories of almost being killed in front of the Wizard offices. What? So if you have not checked out the Wizard Files yet, make sure you check that episode with Russ Wooten. Can I just tease that Michael and I have been discussing doing a live podcast where we drive to Congress and <laughs> go to yes. the, just sit in the parking lot and talk? <laughs> <laughs> we're very excited about this i mean the office still stands it still exists if you guys have the guts if you want me to call ahead i will say can we arrange an, a tour of your office whoever is at this location what we're gonna have to do is find the pizzeria get a couple slices of pizza mm -hmm. and just sit in the parking lot and just talk about the building <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of content that we bring you traveling to the old offices of wizard magazine anime insider toy fair Inquest, all your favorites. Yes, indeed. But until next time, keep your books backed and boarded.
This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.